Hi listeners, uh, is this Mary? I know I haven't updated in a long time. Um, the reasons for that are many, but some primary ones would be I'm back in school. Um, I started an associate's program, so I'll be doing full-time school for the next two years. Part of my goals with that are to, I mean, a big part of my goal for that is, um, basically increasing my tax bracket. I am pretty tired of working minimum wage, as we all are, um, and it's becoming very, very difficult, um, to live that way. I, you know, and unfortunately, this situation we find ourselves in is that it's really not particularly viable for most people to, um, to better their economic situations until they seek higher education uh, and get some kind of credential or certificate or something like that. Um, I think that that's nonsense, but, you know, that's currently how our system mostly works. And, of course, there are exceptions, but um, mostly I think that that tends to be people who uh, started working at some kind of very low position many, many years ago and, you know, it was much easier to work your way up through a company without getting, you know, further education, further certifications, um, you know, and you can go and do things like, yeah, you can go work at a grocery store and, you know, become the manager and then become district manager and what have you, and that's great and that's fine. People need to do that, but, you know, not everybody will be able to do that and will be able to do that all times, so... Um, for some people, education is really the only option they have. And, <laughs> unfortunately, I can't say it's ironic because it's not like it was an accident that it's this way, but, uh, education is really expensive. <laughs> so, if you want to escape your, uh, the prison of your economic constraints, uh, you have to take on new economic constraints and, uh, suffer for, you know, however long you need to. Uh, before you can even think about getting that that money from from your new degree, <laughs> so it's tough. Um, I've been trying to struggle with doing work and homework, and you know, finding time to do things that I enjoy and that make life worth you know doing. <laughs> uh, so that um, reminded me that there are a couple of topics that I wanted to uh, expand upon. Um, I'll put this into some sections so that it's a little easier to listen through, uh, but basically some of the related topics would be, um, maybe you're familiar with these terms, uh, like surviving under capitalism. Um, what does that mean for leftists who exist within capitalist context, which is almost every leftist, leftist to be honest. Um, can you, is there ethical consumption under capitalism? No, there isn't. And what does that mean? Does it mean that you can get away, you can buy whatever you want from whoever you want in whatever kind of quantities because, oh, there's no ethical consumption. It doesn't really matter. Uh, I don't have to be conscious of my buying habits. Yes, you do. It doesn't mean that. It means something else. Um, and I also kind of wanted to talk about things like mutual aid and um, stealing and other types of um, consumption and 
assistance that people can get or give in a capitalist situation that are slightly more equitable and uh, slightly more equitable <laughs> uh, and that can sort of ease the burden of capitalism. So uh, yeah, listen for those in the next couple sections. Uh, thanks guys. Okay, so one of the topics that I brought up in my little intro blurb was uh, surviving under capitalism. And we say this a lot. Uh, it's things like, oh, you know, I'm just trying to survive under capitalism. And what that means is a lot of different things. Um, first of all, what it means is that uh, capitalism clearly um, imposes certain constraints on all of us. Um, it creates um, these systems of oppression like racism, transphobia, ableism, and things like that, which help it to perpetuate itself and that create basically an infinite resource of exploitation for um, the beneficiaries of such systems. Um, you should hear the bourgeoisie when I say that. <laughs> That's basically what that is. Um, and maybe I should do another episode somewhere about Marxist theory and what that all means, because, yikes, that's a, <laughs> we need a separate dictionary for all that. Anyway, um, surviving under capitalism means being a person who is um, under the pressure of these systems, and when it comes down to it, we're all under its pressure. We're all affected by these injustices that are placed upon us and some of us are more aware of it than others some of us feel it more acutely than others um many people will um misattribute these discomforts to something else it's part of uh what makes whites uh, lower class whites able to be racist and, you know, blame their problems on black people and Obama and the Mexicans, you know, instead of realizing that, oh, shit, other upper-class white people did this to me. Uh, it's not about race at all. Um, well, it is about race, but, you know, not in the way that working whites think it is. And it's what makes, uh, you know, those people are feeling the burden of capitalism. That's there's no two ways about that. So they're suffering in the ways that we are, but they, because of their general place in the privileged hierarchy, they are able to pretty grossly misplace uh, the blame for these systems. And um, it's very unfortunate. And of course that perpetuates the other types of uh, capitalist burdens further down the ladder, you know, like the black people who are also experiencing that type of poverty, or Mexican people who are being imprisoned at the border and things like that. You know, women who have limited job opportunities compared to men, uh, trans people who have limited bathroom opportunities compared to other people, so on and so forth. Um, so surviving under capitalism is just about what we do to, to make this life a little bit more equitable and a little bit more comfortable. Um, and of course, to literally survive. I mean, if we, if the system had its way, some of us would just die. And that's, you know, maybe it's a little melodramatic to say that, but what else can you conclude when you have things like, you know, essential 
essential modern comforts like healthcare and abortions and, you know, regular doctor's visits, uh, clean water, you know, things like this that are unavailable to many people. Who is it unavailable to? You know, it's always some type of group of people who generally the ruling classes don't really care if they're around or not. They'd rather not do a genocide on them because obviously that looks real bad. So, I mean, what's easier than just telling them, oh, you can't get your cancer treated, that's too bad. Or, uh, yeah, we tested your water and it says it's fine, so guess uh, you're lying when you say that you can't drink or shower or bathe in your water. Uh, you know, stock up on those water bottles. So, this, these are the ways that systems of capitalism literally are trying to get rid of us. They're trying to kill us. And so doing what we can to exist within these systems really is surviving. And uh, there are many things that we do uh, in order to do that. I kind of want to keep this short because I'm trying the uh, segment system on this podcaster. But, um, you know, of course, being the nature of this podcast, these are kind of big ideas, so I think they take a little bit of time to explain uh, properly, or at least in a way people can understand. I'm not going to assume that I'm explaining them properly. But, um, yeah, so that kind of gets into the things that we do to survive and to help each other and stuff like that, you know, and it kind of also is an admission of participation in the system. Uh, whether we like it or not, this is what we're given with, what we're given to deal with, and we have to deal with it somehow. Um, we have to operate within it, we have to work a job that we don't believe in or like, uh, we have to buy products that we know are killing the earth, uh, you know, we have to drive our car that we know is killing the earth and us and various other things. Um, we have to do these things because even though it's against what we believe and what we feel and what we know about the world and about reality, we have to. It's not really our choice, you know? There are some things that, sure, you can choose not to have a car, but then what? You choose to take the bus, you choose to walk, you know, 10 miles to work? Uh, those aren't really choices. Like, um, if you give a person something and the only way that they have a viable chance of um, bettering themselves or providing basic necessities for themselves is by making that choice, then it's not a choice. And that taps into kind of another topic uh, I'll probably get into in this episode, which is uh, all work is compulsory. There's no, there's no voluntary work. Nobody chooses to work. It's a silly concept. Not in, not in the way that the capitalist system says that we choose to work. So, uh, I'll get into that one later, probably after, um, the ethical consumption segment. So, so yeah, what we, you know, we have to survive capitalism because it's trying to kill us. The things we do to survive capitalism often involves participating in it directly, which, of course, makes everybody slightly guilty of the oppressions that capitalism puts on other people. Um... It's very uh, disheartening for many leftists uh, to have a very difficult time dealing with that fact. Um, and 
it's a big part of actually a vegan discourse. I know, uh, I have a habit from modding some of my groups, uh, to not talk about veganism (laughs) because, um, in many leftist spaces, talking about veganism is 100% guaranteed to just tear up, tear up the conversation. It's not going to make anybody any more friends. It's not going to come to, you know, a nice conclusion. It's not going to convince anybody either way. It's just a mess. But um, I'm not in a group right now. (laughs) I'm by myself (laughs) talking into my phone. So uh, I'll talk about veganism if I damn well please. Thank you. Um, But (laughs) really, uh, one of the big um, issues that leftists have with veganism is... um, the concept of ethical consumption uh, and surviving under capitalism because, of course, we need to eat to survive and, of course, we need to cut down our meat consumption or eliminate our meat consumption uh, to start changing these systems that are destroying us. But does choosing to not eat meat by itself and, you know, choosing to not use animal products at all, does that make your consumption ethical? No, it doesn't. And it helps you survive. It helps you survive under capitalism in a slightly moral uh, way, in a way that's more aligned with your beliefs and and with systems that would actually improve for people. But you're also contributing just just by eating. Like, (laughs) isn't that nice? Just by eating food, you're contributing to um, the suffering of people all around the world, actually, who are growing, harvesting, trading, you know living and dying for that food that is going to be on your table, um, especially as, um, you know, a Westerner, an American, an English speaker, a white person, etc. Um, your need to eat causes somebody else to work for food, basically. Um, and that's how we survive, and that's how the world is right now, and it's absolutely garbage. It doesn't need to be like that. That's why we're leftists, is because we think it doesn't need to be like that. Uh, so cue the next segment of ethical consumption, because clearly I'm dying to get into it. <laughs> uh, so listen on for the details about that, and we'll probably bring up things like veganism again, and, and definitely other stuff too. So, thanks. So this segment is about ethical consumption. Uh, what is it? Why don't we have it? Well, we don't have it because basically the crux of the co- of this concept is that in a capitalist system, we get all of our resources through corporations and private industries. Um, this is, you know, this includes everything. It's uh, water, food, shelter, um, leisure, everything, every single thing that we consume comes from some type of privately owned corporation, which of course means a privately owned uh, manufacturing system, uh, distribution system, and the use of unethically acquired um, resources and, you know, like basic resources like metals and irons and plastics and, you know, uh, minerals and things like that. You know, you're our computers and our phones are loaded with precious me- precious metals, minerals, gems, uh, stuff like that. And, of course, we need them to make them work. 
but the way that they're acquired and distributed and all kinds of things is not ethical. It's not ethical. It requires the suffering of other people and animals and the earth. And as long as we live in a system where those types of uh, sources are the only way that we can get things that we need, it's not possible for us to get these things without somehow supporting these uh, entities. That's, uh, <laughs> for a lot of leftists, that's like a tragic realization in their life, uh, is that, you know, wow, I hate these these things that I'm doing, but I kind of have to do them at some point. And yeah, you do. You absolutely have to. You have to drink water, you know? It's not anybody's fault. Well, it's somebody's fault, but it's not your fault that your water has to go through a private company who has every interest in limiting access to water uh, and, you know, taking water from places that otherwise might be free or, you know, much cleaner and so on and making them a private commodity that you have to pay for. Um, it's not your fault that that happened, but it's somebody's fault. And so that's why it's worth being a leftist. And so that kind of brings us to uh, the concept of there not being any ethical consumption and using that as an excuse. Um, I've heard it used many times as an excuse for people to not really think about the consequences of their consumption. Uh, it's kind of it's just like a get-out-of-jail-free card or something for leftists who don't actually want to be socially responsible and they kind of, it's like too much effort, I guess, for them. And so they'll, they continue on, you know, choosing to buy products from China or choosing to buy through Amazon or choosing to, um, get, you know, certain resources from companies that, you know, get them in these horrible, awful ways and so on and so on. And, so on. Um, and it's just like, hey, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, so who cares? That's not... no. Okay. You do have to think about these things. And... What that means is not that you're a bad person if you don't do these things. There are plenty of people who are not able to. Um, there are things like food deserts, actually, that exist. <laughs> in, you know, in America, even. Uh, I'm surprised often at how many people don't, uh, don't know that America has food deserts, but we do. Uh, and then there's, um, people with disabilities, you know, they don't have access to all of the same places, all of the same mobility, travel distance, and so on, uh, or even bodily autonomy sometimes. They kind of just, they don't have as many options about what they choose to consume or how they choose to consume it. And, uh, I should get into the, I should do a segment on the plastic straw thing. I think I'm going to do that. I'm trying to keep these under about three minutes because according to my app, uh, after three minutes is when they stop being able to transcribe. So I'm hoping that I can get transcriptions on these and that's why I'm trying to keep them a little brief. Um, cause I'm all about accessibility, so, uh, and I can't add descriptions on segments, so the transcription, I think, is the closest I'm going to get. Um, and so, on to 
uh, what was it? Um, onto what? I was talking about ethical consumption, and then I was talking about... Oh yeah, straws. Plastic straws and disabled people. So that's the next segment. The argument about the plastic straws thing is actually a really uh, neat way to illustrate the concept of ethical consumption and problems of things like uh, prioritizing suffering. So what you have essentially is people who are saying, oh, plastic straws pollute the ocean and they pollute uh, beaches and all kinds of things. And then you have people who are disabled, for example, who say, well, some, some people need plastic straws and you can't just get rid of them. To which opponents of plastic straws might respond, well, actually nobody needs plastic straws. They can use metal or paper straws, which are more sustainable. <sighs> okay. So, first of all, you're telling people what they need, which that should be your first clue that you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Uh, and second, there are plenty of people who need plastic bendy straws specifically. Um, paper straws, believe it or not, are not indestructible. They do eventually fall apart or dissolve or get soft. Um, people who have mobility issues or neurological issues might not be able to consume their liquid fast enough to avoid the d dissolving of the straw. Um, so why don't they just use a metal straw? Well, metal straws, first of all, need to be uh, maintained. They need to be sanitized and organized and, you know, they can't get lost, things like that. People can't drop them and roll under a, a desk or a table or something. Um, and, of course, the other problem with that is, again, people who have mo difficult mobility around their neck or their jaw are going to have a tough time because they can't bend it to meet their face. They have to position themselves in a way that is high enough and straight enough to use the straw. So, it's kind of like telling disabled people, like, you know, yeah, you might have these problems, but um, fuck your problems. They're not really important enough to me as a symbolic gesture of, you know, wanting to protect the planet or fix climate change and re-elect Obama or whatever. Um, so their whole concern was totally plowed over. You know, Starbucks did its <laughs> magical thing of, like, getting rid of some of its plastic straws and replacing them with plastic lids that use twice as much plastic, <laughs> but, you know, whatever makes you feel good. And that's part of the problem of ethical consumption and why it can't always, it can't exist. It's not real. What about people who grow their own food or who live near a natural water well? There are people who make their own personal attempts to escape the problems of capitalism that we all have to deal with. And, you know, if you can do the whole go-off-grid thing and, you know, s make your own sustainable food source for yourself or your family, you know, get a natural water reserve, you know, I don't know, milk your own free-range uh, non-food cow or something, uh, great, super, <laughs> that's awesome for you. But again, it's not 
a viable choice for a lot of people. Most of us have to pay for electricity, for gas, for transportation, for food, for water, and everything, basically. Most of us have to pay for everything, basic housing. Uh, so what we call that is lifestyleism, when a leftist or an extremist of some sort takes it upon themselves to, as best as they can, opt out of society. A lot of these are people who own their own land or have the option of owning their own land. They have ways of constructing and um, supplying themselves with resources that, you know, you go to a family of a single mom out in an urban neighborhood or something, uh, and they're not going to have that option. They don't get to, you know, people who are, who need assisted living because they're disabled don't have the option of just moving out into the middle of nowhere and feeding off the fat of the land or whatever. That's, that's just kind of what we call some ableist, transphobic, classist bullshit. There are people who need medications, they need medical equipment, they need hormones for their transition, they need to work for money, uh, they're not gonna just have the option of checking out in that way. If you do, and you can do that, and you're able to do that, fine, alright, I guess, good on you. But many have used this as some kind of cop-out of like, yeah, see, a perfect society is achievable, you're just not trying hard enough. And it sort of deflects from the need to show what one might call activist cred, that you don't have to give back to your community because you're already doing everything you can. Well, like, kind of fuck you a little bit for thinking that. So at the very most benign, a lifestyleism isolates you from your comrades or people who could be your comrades. Because it's like, if you just checked out of society, sure that's cool for you and stuff but anybody else who a hasn't been radicalized and b doesn't have a radical community to help them they're just gonna sit around and eat up all the same bullshit that everybody else is so outreach is a really important part of the process of let's just say radicalization uh, a really cool way to do that is through the use of mutual aid which is a concept, I think, mostly from anarchy, but also from communism, that uh, essentially it's a gift economy. And what that means is that people, it's not a trade economy, where you're, instead of money, you're trading goods for goods, uh, because that still assigns some type of value to the things that you're trading. Um, which can be measured, and essentially you just create another monetary system. Instead, the gift economy model is uh, essentially you have people who are in need of a resource or a luxury or whatever, and then you have people who have that thing, and or who have access to the means to create that thing, and the means of production, if you will. <laughs> uh, so the duty of each person in a community is to provide that thing 
to the people that need it. If if you don't need it, give it to somebody who does. And that applies to literally anything. It could be money. Uh, we do it with money a lot. It could be food. I've done it with uh, food before. Uh, electronics. Clothes. Um, literally anything you can think of, pretty much. Uh, you can find somebody who who needs it, and you can get rid of it. And it it keeps, it can help improve one person's life, and then when people continue doing that for each other, it, it improves the community as a whole. Because when you get, when you allow each person the opportunity to improve, the, you know, as a result of help from their community members, you lift everyone up. And then the standard for living becomes much higher, and resources are easily attainable. And it's better for everyone that way. And it's also a really convenient way to show people that uh, mutual aid and communist ideas can have an application in real life. So, other than mutual aid, um, there is another coping mechanism, I guess you could call it, for surviving under capitalism. Um, that would be stealing. I know it's kind of controversial, especially in uh, circles that are concerned about the working class because uh, an argument that I hear a lot is, well, if you steal from a company, then that company is just going to uh, take out the loss in profits from their workers' wages. Uh, so you're just punishing the workers with your selfishness and there's a couple things weird about that argument. One, I mean, it's kind of true, but it's only true because companies will literally take any type of loss in profits out on the workers. That's just what they do. They, they don't give workers better conditions until it's not profitable for them to do that anymore. They will always, always, always take out the problems with the company on the lowest workers. They're always going to cut benefits, they're always going to cut wages, they're going to cut hours, they're going to make them work harder, they're going to surveil them harder, and all kinds of things. It's going to be like that no matter what. Whether people steal from the company, whether they stop shopping at the company, uh, whether the company is legally compelled to do something or other, uh, it's gonna happen. So it really doesn't matter what we as consumers do to the company or to its products because we're not responsible for the evil that the company commits. That is always on the company. It's always their fault. The They're the abuser in the situation. Uh, it's not up to anybody to work to not, you know, cause the abuser to, uh, to make the workers suffer, it's up to us, all of us, to create a system where that abuser can no longer abuse anymore. Uh, and part of that is taking away its control over us. And when we take it upon ourselves to get the things that we need and want for free, i.e. stealing, uh, i.e. from large companies that uh, will make will be making money no matter what. 
thinking that stealing is going to cut into their profits is nonsense. Uh, but we can hold them accountable when we improve our own situations at their expense. <laughs> should you steal from Walmart? Yes, absolutely. You should steal from just about wherever you feel like, except uh, from individuals and from small enterprises. Generally, among anarchists and communists, we kind of tend to agree that smaller enterprises and like privately owned small businesses, uh, not franchises, but small businesses are kind of a no-go because unfortunately we do live in capitalism and that's a good way for somebody to try to better their situation in, you know, with the resources that they're given. And ideally, if we were to have businesses, they would all be small. They wouldn't be corporations and franchises and, you know, large chain stores like that. Um, it functions, society functions perfectly fine when, when outlets are owned by small independent businesses. But, so try not to steal from those, but anybody else is pretty much free game. If you need something and you only have a certain way to get it, then do it. Uh, and it helps you and it helps your community because uh, mutual aid and stealing go hand in hand. Um, for example, stealing tampons, not just for yourself if you're a woman, but for homeless women in your area. Um, specific, you know, unopened boxes, unwrapped uh, tampons, <laughs> of course, I mean, let's be safe here. Uh, seriously, people don't think about things like that. And if you, if you can steal more than you need, give it to somebody else. And that's a great way to lift the burden off of other people. And, you know, and also keep some money in your pocket because you don't need to be spending that money and you deserve every bit of it. So, steal resources, give them to your community, give them to yourself, uh, express solidarity with the workers. Um, yes, the workers suffer, but they always suffer under, under the employer. That's just the nature of the unjust relationship between employers and employees. Um, they don't have power in that situation. Through unions, they kind of do, but that's a different, that's a totally different episode. Uh, just don't, like, if you're white, don't try, you know, don't try to pressure your black and brown friends into stealing with you, or for you, or whatever, because you should know that they're in much greater risk of being caught and arrested than, and followed, I mean, before they even do anything, so don't do that. Just steal for yourself. By yourself and that's done. DIY is also a really great way to, to you know survive under capitalism in a sense. Uh, recycling in general is really useful. Um, I like to um, I like to sew so and I like ugly things so that really helps actually. Uh, I don't have to be particularly good at sewing uh, and I make a lot of my own clothes. I make uh, I made my backpack for this semester. Uh, it's not super pretty, it's not hideous, but it works, and it carries more than enough. Oh my god, it's actually huge. Um, I didn't realize how huge it was when I made it, but um, it's um, it's really, really nice. And uh, making things for myself has um, 
significantly improved my situation. Um, and then that extends to other things too. Like my boyfriend likes to make, uh, he likes to make cups out of bottles, you know? So we cut down a little bit on buying, um, glasses and cups and on the amount of glass that we throw away, um, because we don't get to recycle because of the area that we live in. So that's another one of those things like, sorry, don't shame me for not directly recycling through a recycling program because I don't have that. Um... So we kind of have to take it upon ourselves to find ways to recycle stuff. And that's in a similar vein. Uh, we dumpster dive a lot. Like, I'm talking about our whole house is basically furnished with trash furniture. Um, none of it matches, but it does what it needs to do. We have a desk, we have dressers, we have uh, chairs, bookshelves, all kinds of stuff. Um, we just get it out of the trash whatever if it's not like covered in something disgusting then just take it home not a big deal i mean of course in most places taking stuff out of people's out of other trash like dumpsters and stuff like that is illegal because that dumpster is owned by a company and you wouldn't want to take another company's trash would you even though your trash is owned by the city so anybody gets to go through your trash that doesn't matter but go through some other, go through Vons's trash, go through freaking uh, Barnes and Noble's trash, and uh, you're committing a crime, buddy. So I guess try not to be caught. Most of the time, nothing really bad will happen to you. But you know, get food out of the trash. Get uh, get. We got some cooking supplies. It sounds gross, but we just they weren't dirty. They were just in a box so we washed them off and now we've got a huge set of cooking stuff uh cooking utensils i should say and then there's the internet you can find almost anything you need on the internet as far as for example software text music movies anything like anything that can be in a digital format is probably somewhere on the internet um, you really just have to know how to look for it and how to be kind of safe while you do that. Um, if that's something you're interested in knowing more about, I could um, make an episode about uh, being shady on the internet, <laughs> I guess. Um, it's not too difficult, but just not everybody knows how to do it. So if that's something you're interested in, I guess leave a comment or something uh, and I'll get on that. But you know, like, I get textbooks, I get movies, um, things like that. And if you want, burn them on a CD or something, give them to somebody else. Um, we help people install software on their computers all the time. Uh, and we, and unlike stealing, the thing you're taking doesn't even go anywhere. You're just making a new copy of it, basically. Um, it's not, nothing's going anywhere. Nobody's actually losing anything. The only reason that anybody would suffer from things like unlicensed downloading is that they created their business model specifically to suffer for it because they want to raise the incentive to punish people who pirate. Um, for example, Adobe 
changed its whole uh, business model, basically. So where you don't download Photoshop anymore, you don't buy Photoshop, you buy the service which lets you access Photoshop. Mm -hmm. It's, It's called the Creative Cloud. Doesn't that sound nice? So you you pay them on a regular basis to have access to their products. And the idea is that it makes it dif- difficult to steal and it makes them a lot more money in the long run, even for, among people who do buy it. And to, it solidifies this idea that you that software is something you can take from someone and that using software that you're not allowed to use is some kind of horrible uh, crime and honestly it's not you're not hurting anybody nothing's going anywhere just uh, go crazy do it go for it so that's kind of my I think I'm gonna wrap it up for this episode Um, I've been going at this for quite a while (laughs) Um, it's nice to be podcasting again but um, so yeah I just kind of wanted to wrap things up and say uh basically these uh it's not just that i'm some shady criminal and i want you to be a criminal too um it just happens that a lot of the ways that the working classes and that oppressed people can have access to the uh, resources that are not available to them or that are deliberately withheld from them i should say um, tend to not be legal because, uh, I mean, I'll definitely be making an episode about the law and about illegalism and things like that later, but basically, you know, a lot of laws are not necessary. I mean, technically, all laws are unnecessary, but, uh, I'll keep it tame for now. (laughs) Um, but, you know, how many times have you gotten a parking ticket because you didn't move for the street sweeper or something like does the street sweeper really need to come through that badly probably not you probably are going to be okay without one it's just yet another way that the state collects revenue by punishing poor people for doing poor people shit not everybody can just be moving their cars around and keeping track of the calendar all the time to make sure that, uh-oh, I get my car out of here by 7 o'clock on a Friday, on every third Friday, or something like that, to make sure they don't get a dang ticket. So, you know, or jaywalking, or, um, man, there's just, uh, one popular one is seatbelt laws. I wouldn't say that that's a useless law, because seatbelts do keep you safer, but, to be honest, what keeps people making the choice to use seatbelts is education and knowing that you're safer with a seatbelt. It's not the law that makes them do that. It's the education. People who are not educated will choose not to do it anyway. They'll just break the law and not use their seatbelt. That's just how that's how it is. The law is really not keeping you or anyone else from doing anything. It's actual consequences that might do that. So, you know, keep that in mind. And whatever you need to do to help redistribute those goods and resources that uh, aren't getting redistributed, uh, go ahead and redistribute them yourselves. You know, help your community uh, take your power back from people who want to oppress you and enjoy your life. Be free.